This episode is sponsored by Fracht. Fracht means freight in German. Founded in 1955 in Basel, Switzerland as a freight forwarder, the company has grown and evolved to become a global logistics provider for many industries. Specifically for oil and gas, the company manages the complex movement of large industrial equipment used in our offshore production platforms, all the way to MRO, rope soap and dope, and chemicals. For more information, find them at www.frochtgroup.com. Welcome to ESG Energize, where we discuss the latest developments in the environmental, social, and governance arena that are impacting the energy industry today. Here is your host, Delfina Govia. This is Delfina Govia, the Chief Sustainability Officer for Fracht, a global logistics provider with an unflinching commitment to sustainability and ESG and where we are collaborating with our customers and our suppliers to deliver innovative, sustainable supply chain solutions. ESG Energized audience, today we are talking to Jacqueline Burton, a young woman that I have long admired and am friends with, and she has been so gracious to take time to talk to us today. And as a matter of fact, I even have a painting in my home that she did for me, which is a woman looking out on the water. And it represents our love for all that is working in the offshore industry and all the people that get to have those wonderful lives. So Jacqueline, thank you so much for joining. I'd actually forgotten about those paintings. Uh, They're wonderful. I'm so, I was so blessed to get one. Yeah, it was funny (laughs) because I got given one back to me. At that point, I had to give it to someone else. I know. (laughs) Anyway, so Jacqueline, today, uh, what I'd like to do is talk to you about your role as the head of creative design for Kongsberg. And I know that most of the people in the oil industry know who Kongsberg is, but there there are some who are very uh, U.S.-focused and land land-based focus that maybe not are not familiar with Kongsberg. So if you could give us a very quick uh, introduction to the wonderful organization that is Yeah, so Kongsberg is actually a group of companies. So there's Kongsberg Aerospace and Defense, uh, which you might not know about. Then there's Kongsberg Digital, which supplies uh, digital tools for maritime offshore industries. And then there's Kongsberg Maritime, Uh, which is where I work, uh, which we work on the maritime control systems or one of the biggest technology companies in in the maritime space as a supplier. Um, There's some others around us, but uh, we're one of the very biggest. We have 33,000 vessels that we install equipment on. Wow. One thing I've known, Jacqueline, about since I've known you and since I've been familiar with Consberg, which is a, is quite a long time, is that it's an organization that is highly innovative and constantly looking for uh, better ways to, to improve. So if you could, and, and that is very much in line with what your job is. So could you tell us what, it, what your job is at Consberg? So I head what we call creative design. Um, so we have another design organization. It's called Ship Design, which designs vessels. But my department, we design the 
products themselves, everything that the user is touching. So we design the user interfaces, we design the user hardware, so things like thruster controls, um, things like DP system interfaces, um, the integrated automation system interfaces, um, the bridge equipment interfaces, those kind of things. And we're actually a rather new department uh, in Consort before it was mainly engineered, and now we're moving towards uh, used and utilizing more human-centered design inside our product development. So talk to us a little bit more about that. What what was the impetus and the thinking? What is going on in the market that, that brought Kongsberg to, to create this? And it's obvious why they put you in the position, at least it's obvious to me, but what what was going on that that made them to go in this direction. Yeah, well, there's been an increasing focus and is continuing to be an increasing focus on how um, users and users' behaviors are affecting how the system should be built and how the system should be used, uh, both from a human factor standpoint uh, for safety and safety and control systems, but also for efficiency. You can make people behave differently through how the interface is constructed, through how the menus are constructed, you can change what tools they use more often or how much they use uh, something by how it's displayed. Um, so there's been a lot of research going on there for a long period of time, um, both on affecting safety and also affecting efficiency through user-oriented tools. And then also making the workspace a better workspace for them to work in, where they have a clearer mental model of what's happening with the vessel and around the vessel and with um, the equipment that they're handling based on how the displays are built. So we are effectively increasing performance without trying to just beat people up and say, you must use new tools. We're taking a more holistic approach to say, hey, maybe the tools uh, need to be adjusted and calibrated to human behaviors. And yeah. it's a dual, and there, dual there are some ISO standards specifically related mm-hmm. to how to construct control rooms. Um, and what was interesting as part of my work at Consberg was going to SIGTO, to the Human Factors um, Committee, and working on actually writing three books that are on the design of control rooms in gas handling contexts. Wow. So you're also affecting uh, other organizations that, uh, that, uh, that guide us and judge us on how we, we mm-hmm. do business. It also sounds to me that your efforts are helping uh, not only Consberg, but other, other organizations because you are a service mm-hmm. provider uh, that to redefine operational excellence, to have different factors that, that are taken into consideration. And that, in my opinion, we've talked about this on other podcasts, is that in the context of environmental, social, and governance, infusing that criteria or various criteria from ESG into operational excellence is incredibly important. So I'd love your perspective on on that. And also, you know, what's your overall view in the Norwegian market of, of ESG? How is this all coming together? 
Yeah, so I'll take the first part first, and then we'll talk about the second part. But um, I think that it's actually very difficult to get excellence out of um, making these kind of systems because of the way our market is shaped. Um, so yes, we're a supplier. Yes, we can influence uh, how we build the product. But we're also limited in the information that we have about the operators and how they need to use it and how their tools should be shaped. Um, because we don't necessarily have long-term access to operators to watch them work and find where they're doing workarounds, find where they're using post-it notes when it should be calculated by the system, find where they're using a calculator that's the size of a laptop. <laughs> <laughs> punch the yeah. numbers because they can't see without their glasses on um, to do, you know, like tank rates and those kind of things. Yeah. And having been an operator, I know that those things are happening hundreds and thousands of times a day all over the world, but it's not necessarily that the engineers who are building our products or the designers have that kind of gut feel on what the operators really need our tools to do and how our tools should be shaped. Um, so part of that, those books at TikTok was following the ISO 11064, which is like the human-centered design of control rooms standard. And that standard is really trying to get collaboration across all of the different control room uh, design and uh, delivery organization. So if you're talking about uh, offshore vessel, then you're talking about the owner that's ordering it. You're talking about um, crew training. You're talking about crewing. You're talking about the shipyard itself and how that control room is built should be based on how it's planned to be operated and what tasks are going to be done by which system that's made by which supplier that's going to be used by which operator in which control location. So building that control location to be a fully integrated workspace, regardless of how many suppliers are supplying the system, is one of the things that that standard has been written to do and one of the things that the recommendations from SIGTO have been meant to do. But then you have a lot of different stakeholders that you need to collaborate with to make that work, and they don't often want to play together. Um, so that is mm. standing in the way of getting that kind of full operational excellence out of the systems. And Are you finding that in your job that you're you're having to play um, facilitate? Oh, I, I facilitate every day. <laughs> that's, that's my main role because <laughs> I have a team of designers. Uh, but a lot of the time um, I spend actually on advocacy of design and these kind of practices where you have to take a holistic approach. You have to observe stakeholders. You have to get the different stakeholders involved. We need to observe the end users. This project can't go forward until we do that. Those kind of advocacy for the power of what design should be and how to do design practices well um, and how we can do it well also co-creating with our customers and making sure that they know that in order for them to have an excellent system and in order for them to have the safest operations, that this practice and process needs to take place. It's not just that they can buy the system, but how should right. it be configured in the best way to get the very best results? 
So that goes back, that brings us back to the second part of the question that I asked you, which is around environmental, social, mm -hmm. and governance. And we have recognized that becoming more efficient mm -hmm. is a critical component of creating a, a more positive uh, global mm -hmm. impact. So I'm curious as to what your views are on what's going on with ESG, particularly in, in the Norwegian market, because I've been I've been following several of our colleagues and I'm continuously impressed with what they're doing. So we have a really big focus on, on ESGs. We have a big focus on what we can do for the environment, specifically within the ocean space, how we can help our customers become more efficient, how we can facilitate some of the fuel transition Um we have been doing a lot of work with different kinds of electric vessels and how those will operate and uh, supplying that and electric drive systems as well. Um, and we, yeah, we spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, how we can make our products circular, um, which is a whole <laughs> another category of uh, can of worms of difficult problems. Uh, how do you get equipment back? How do you, um, reuse it, how do you do that responsibly, how much transportation would be required in order to, to do that effectively. Um, so there's a, there's a really a lot of questions, but it's work that's you know, continually in development. How, how can we do uh, environmental responsibility better? Um, and then the other part is the social part. How can we actually allow new operational models to get other people into the industry who have not traditionally been able to be in the industry, which is one of the really interesting things with marine autonomy, which I actually work quite a lot with, not necessarily only in Consport, but also externally with um, yeah, some other boards and things that I'm involved with. But Get to that in a minute. We'll get there. <laughs> um, but the thing with marine autonomy and also with offshore control and monitoring centers, so whether it's for oil and gas monitoring centers ashore or if it's uh, you know for marine autonomy, then you can have people who are in wheelchairs. You can have people that are colorblind. You can have much more... Gender-friendly workspaces, particularly for young parents, being male or female, because they can work then from a shore office in a steady rotation. Um, one of the interesting things we actually do with our service centers is we do something called Follow the Sun. So we have three offices globally, and they work during their daytime hours for eight hours, and they shift around the world, the call center. Um, so everyone gets to have in a way, a normal life um, or a normal shore life. And, you know, I think there's always going to be jump crews and there's always going to be people that have to deal with 24-7 emergencies, but we don't have to design the ocean work to necessarily be that way in all cases or in nearly as many cases as it is today. Um, so that's also something that's kind of interesting in the social aspect because we're then allowing a lot more participation in our industry's workforce. And that means that we have more access to talent because just because they're in a wheelchair does not mean that their brain is not amazing and they can't come up with the best solutions. And yeah, and, and I love that because a lot of times we, when we talk about DEI, we 
we forget that it's not just <clears throat> about um, gender or or mm -hmm. race. It's there's a whole segment of the population that gets normally excluded. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to talk about inc inclusivity, uh, we've got to do a better a better job of designing our work yeah. environment. And right? we have the opportunity so, with technology to really redesign what work is and can be. Uh, and I think that that's mm -hmm. really interesting. So I have another side project uh, on that. Please tell um, us. So right now I'm doing uh, a side project that's like a personal challenge project for myself because I'm, of course, not challenged enough with all of the things that I do. Um, that's called the Human-Centered Ocean Industry Designing a Transformation. And it's a 100-day project. I'm on day 15 right now. Um, and so okay. I'm doing live broadcasts on LinkedIn, talking to different industry experts and writing down my reflections from those. And then I'm taking those and packaging them into like a, a nine pieces of the project. So I finished piece one, which was on design as a problem solving tool, which is really just a primer for all the maritime people that don't know anything about design. Um, and then <laughs> right now I'm doing the shapes and segments of the ocean industry. And so I'm talking to people in aquaculture. I talk to people in short sea. I'm talking to people in LNG. Um, and talking to uh, the shipping podcast host after this uh, for this project uh, to talk about her reflections after having talked to so many different people in the industry. What shapes and segments does she see that I might be blind to? Because I have my own bias coming right. from, I, I did seven years in LNG operations and then the rest of the time on board many different kinds of vessels before I uh, took up work here at Consberg. So I have a particular lens that I put on the industry that may or may not hold true. I don't think I see the full picture. And I, it's right. to really look at the full industry and look at the different stakeholders within it and how we might, with this huge transformation challenge that we have, make that transition and make it in a way that we have human-centered work in the ocean space where the work is not only worth doing but divided well between what people do and what technology does not you monitor the machine because that really doesn't make sense in practice but how to make meaningful work for humanity and to serve humanity in the ocean space in the future so it's a small side project uh i don't know if i will succeed at it but uh it's about the process not the results i guess so we'll see well that's exactly what you were that that's exactly what you were describing um, you know, previously at the beginning of this discussion is taking that holistic approach. And if you're going to design a control room, you have to understand all the different perspectives and your challenge and perhaps sometimes frustrations is not having the access to what is happening on a day-to-day -day basis because we all have mm -hmm. our biases. We all have our ways of thinking and our ways of working. And unless we examine all of that, um, there's you're, you're not going to have uh, an effective yep. result. So it's you're you're applying your way of thinking to you know more than just one <laughs> yes. thing, and I love that. So I remember um, at one point you were talking to me about something called Project Open yes. Zero. What is 
I don't remember um, what that So is. Open Zero is a project. So we had a really great collaboration with one of the universities uh, here in Oslo, which is the University of Architecture and Design. And you might have heard of Open Bridge as kind of a design system for making bridge user interfaces. So they did a project on that, trying to find a holistic way to approach how to design interfaces for the bridge across and agnostic from the different manufacturers. So that when you get a thruster, it lo- always looks like a thruster the exact same way, regardless of, of which system mm-hmm. provider you purchase from. Um, and they have had some good traction and take up of, of the open bridge design system. And then we went into a project with them called Open Remote, which was about applying that, but making extra components for doing remote operations. And that project's ongoing. And then there's another project that's right now um, going for funding for the EU called uh, Open Zero, which is looking at using the user interface to influence the user behavior. So if you think of, if you have ever driven a hybrid or an electric car, how you have that green, the battery is charging bar and the uh, red, use less of the gas pedal, please. Uh, Efficiency. Drivers, we're looking at in that project how we can influence the behavior of, let's say someone using a thruster to use it more effectively by giving them information about how much fuel they're burning so that they have wow. the tools and information there to make better operational decisions in that space. And I think that it will become kind of a competition. If you get a score from it, your watch had an efficiency score of 88 and someone else's watch had, it it. it got very competitive, I think, (laughs) uh, over time. But uh, that project is looking at how much can be saved there um, by influencing the user behavior based on what's displayed um, alongside the uh, operational components. So I think it's super interesting. So taking that, it is, it's fascinating. And it is an, it's a testament to, like I said at the beginning, uh, the, the mindset, the culture, I should say, of innovation that exists within your organization and you being the absolute perfect person, since I know you, to, to be. Oh, but we do these collaboratively because they're not, it's not our project, it's. A project that right. we do with that university, with EU funding, with other partners. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting to co-create these kind of solutions. It's not. It's not about the only us. Way to it's do about it, actually. everyone together. But again, your organization yeah. gets that right. Understands that you have to participate in these in these collaborative efforts, and I think that we're seeing more mm-hmm. of that now. Um, in in our in our world, uh, people understanding that they've they just have we all have to work together to be able to create a an, um, a better. There is such a thing as win 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 win, and these yes, are those exactly. kind of things. Um, and I mean, it goes the same as if you're designing a control center. You have to be together with all of the other stakeholders to get the very best results. No one player can do this alone. And that's the same way that we should be looking at the fuel transition because there's going to be such a huge infrastructure that will need to be, you know, developed alongside that. 
um, that it's not possible yeah. for even a huge energy company to be able to take that on. It's going to have to be a collaborative oh. effort between, you know, municipalities and energy providers and ports and operators and, 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 and. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that on, on your side mm-hmm. of the world um, that you're, you're seeing that, the move towards that open collaboration. Yes, I could say that. Um, so one of my other roles, which we were going to save for another time, um, I'm a chairman of the board for the Sustainable Autonomous Mobility Systems Business Cluster. And in that cluster, we have a group of companies, many companies, uh, that are working towards system level solutions alongside municipalities and other players to provide autonomous mobility and mobility being people and cargo. Um, And that's also multimodal. It's not just about ships. It's not just about pipelines and automating pipelines. It's not just about automating trains. It's not just about automating buses or ferries. It's about how all of those things interact with Mm -hmm. each other so that we can develop a system level solution with all of the players that are there to really have a win, 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 win. I love that. So that is absolutely uh, another topic that we need to dive more deeply into along with some of the other board roles that you hold. Um, would you mention the other two very quickly for, for my mm-hmm. audience? Um so they know what's coming because I'm going to invite you back to talk about. Sam's. Yeah. So there's, but, uh, there's, there's Sam's, which I just mentioned because it's super relevant to the conversation we we're having, but also uh, I'm on the board of the women's international trading and uh, shipping and trading association of Norway. Um, so Wista overall has like 36,000 um, women in shipping. Uh, Wista Norway has wow. uh, just about 300 and members uh, within Norway and we also have 10% male members. And we just had our first man on the board of Wista Norway, uh, who's the CEO of Norwegian Hull Club. Um, so ah. we are really passionate about driving equality and diversity within the maritime sector and making sure that it sticks Um So I can talk about that and the initiatives that we have going on there. And then the other board that I'm on is um, I was a founding board member at Captains Without Borders. And there we're looking at locked talent in the maritime industry and how much of it we actually have where talent is locked out of the industry because of what nationality they come from. And particularly women uh, is our focus right now. But we are looking at cadets that have funded their way through maritime schools in their local country. And because they're not from a preferred maritime nation, they can't get sea time. And if they can't get sea time, they can't get licenses. And if they can't get licenses, they're never getting in the industry, no matter how brilliant they are or how talented they are or how much they try to get connected. If you know, the ship owner says, well, we get all of our crew from the Philippines. No. Or we get all of our crew from India. No. 
Um, but then yeah. you're missing out on all of the talent that's to be had in Africa, all of the talent that's to be had in the Middle East, all of the talent that you could get in South America. And it's not necessarily that they're going to be higher cost or that their education is going to be less valid or that they're going to be any less brilliant. Right. It's just talent that you are a bias. walking out of the industry for your convenience, because yeah, it's a bit of a pain to process papers from all of the different countries. But that was one of the reasons why STCW was set up to try to um, you know, make the training level the same, uh, regardless of the country of origin. And it's something that we are really focused on at Captains Without Borders. How do we get women from the Middle East and Africa who's finished their maritime studies? How do we get them on a ship? Um, so we've been doing fundraising. Um, we have we have some cash in the bank to do this. We are uh, one of the charity partners, uh, co-partner with North Shipping and Mercy Ships uh, this summer at North Shipping. And yeah, we're really trying to find ship owners to partner with us and say that they're going to take these cadets and give them an opportunity. Uh, because we believe, so I think that we believe we, <laughs> that even though opportunity is not evenly distributed in the world, potential is, and we cannot say that enough. Opportunity is not evenly distributed, but potential yes, is exactly. How about if we make that the title of the next podcast that you're going to yeah. do with me? And we can dive deeper into Sam's Wista Captains Without Borders. Uh, I think that that's a that's these are topics the that are that warrant more mm. attention. And I would love if you would come back and have a, a deeper discussion on all yeah, of those topics to. because they're extremely relevant to a yeah. lot of us. Wonderful, Jacqueline Burton. Always a pleasure. I'm always awed by you. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks me. for having me. Talk soon. Join us again next week on the ESG Energized Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.